Let's jump into our verses today, starting in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. All right. So verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out his laborers into the harvest. Matthew 10 and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the 12 apostles are these. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, that was a lot of scripture, so let's pray and get us kind of refocused on what God has for us today. So Father God, we just thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for meeting us here this morning, Lord. We pray that you um, just speak to each and every one of our hearts today, Father God. We love you, and we love you, and we are grateful for all the blessings that you have poured into us, Father God, but you have called us to so much more. You have purposed us for so much more, Lord. We are your worksmanship, Father God. So I pray that today is a day that we take action, a day that we step into our calling, and a day that we go out and do all that we've been called to do, and that is to bring the gospel to the nations. So we love you, Jesus, and we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the title for today is A Heart for the Harvest. So this past August, we went back to the Dominican. That's where Sherry and I kind of got started in missions. We've been going to the Dominican for 10, 10 or 11 years um, at this point. And then God kind of took wherever we were going um, in the early parts to connect us with Lorena. And now Lorena's part of our family. Um, And so we go down to visit um, Lorena and her family and her church family down there. Um, and just spend some time doing ministry together. And so we brought the, it was by far the largest team we've ever brought. It was 33 people we flew down with. You might, on that Sunday morning, pastor kind of gave us a hard time. He's like, you took everybody. We had no one to run the service, but too bad. Everyone was, of all those 33, everyone was called to go on that trip anyway. So God had other plans um, than pastor did that day. Um, And so it was awesome. And with the help of Holy Spirit, Sherry and Lorena were able to kind of keep all 33 of us in line, get us there safely, get us home, and most importantly, just serve God and do all that he is calling us to do. And so when I read those verses um, at the end of chapter 9 in Matthew, the moment that just like popped into my head was around day three of of that trip. And so because we had such a huge team, we kind of had to split and do different things at different times, which again, took a lot of organizing and I... Love those two right there for for all the work that they put into that. And so Sherry, Lorena, Pastor Mary, a whole team of women went to the women's prison to go minister that day. And the other 20 or so of us hopped on the bus and we went to um, this local community to put on like a kids program. And so it was right near like the local, um, the city garbage dump. And so like as soon as you got off the bus, like you could smell, um, you knew where we were. The roads were in, like, terrible condition, and so because, again, we had a massive team and we're driving on this big old bus, 
Um, we couldn't go down the, the roads to where we needed to go. And so we all hopped off, marched down, carry all our supplies. We go to the, um, the church that was kind of hosting us. We get to pray with them, meet the local pastors, um, and just kind of see all that God has been doing in that community. And so um, after that, they give us uh, this woman from the church. She was one of the elders was supposed to guide us to where the children's program was. So we're all amped up. And so she's leading us. She walks us back on the same path we came from. We end up back at the hill, pretty much right at the, the bus where we were. She flips us around. We head back down the hill. She don't know what she's doing. Flips us around. We go back up the hill. It's like <laughs> she was blind. She had no idea what she was doing. In the meantime, she's just chatting us up like, oh, this is so great. And we're so grateful you guys are here. It's like, <laughs> we, we, that's nice and all, but we know you're lost. Stop trying to pretend like you, don't, like you know what you're doing. She won't ask anybody for help and whatever. So we're just marching back and forth and back and forth in the weather. Now, meanwhile, I'm trying to keep this group of, of 20 people together. You would think like, oh, we're all adults. We could simply walk as a group together. Not the most difficult task in the world. Turns out, even 20 adults, it was like going to an amusement park with a bunch of kids. You know, this one's got to go to the bathroom. This one's stopping to look at the scenery or something. We got the group falling behind that are too busy chatting. Even as we turned and walked past them, they still ended up in the back of the line somehow, you know, 100 yards behind where we're walking. It was like herding cats for a good 45 minutes. But if you've ever been on a missions trip, you know patience is a necessity. And so I feel like I kept it together pretty well. Um, you know, not to be too arrogant, but we, we, we did good. And so God, of course... He used our blind guide to his advantage because God doesn't just use the mission that he sets you on. He uses everything leading up to that mission as well. And so as we were walking up and down and up and down, we were basically, it's like what Sherry does when she walks down Howard Ave. We're just snatching up kids left and right. It's like, oh, this kid's sitting on the stoop. Come on with us. Um, we, every adult we saw, we're like, do you have any kids? Just send them out with us. For some reason, they trusted us, but that's on them. And so we got off the bus as like 20, 22 people. By the time we got to where we were going, we were at least 50 people deep. Um, now, as we just read in our verses, wherever Jesus went, the crowds or the multitudes were there. And so when we arrived at this place, like multitudes doesn't describe what we encountered. We walked down this muddy little path, and then it, it opens up, and there's at least 250 kids sitting in the chairs. Those were all filled up sitting all over the ground everywhere. There was um, this huge tree that was on the side. We had kids hanging in the tree, dangling from the tree. They were sitting up there um, like a bunch of Zacchaeuses waiting to absorb the word of God. And then we had a handful of adults as well. Um, it turns out not there to help us, just to kind of hang out and see what was going on and all the, all the commotion and stuff. But the harvest was plentiful for sure. And of course, the program was awesome. So despite there being way more kids than we expected and had crafts and snacks and um, prizes for, despite the church giving us like this kind of like rickety old speaker that was not loud enough for an outdoor event with that many people, despite getting zero help from the, the peanut gallery over here, the adults, and despite Pastor Lenny and myself breaking up a couple fights with the kids in, in the back there, we don't even speak Spanish, so <laughs> we're trying to divide these kids. One kid's trying to give his friend a knuckle sandwich. Um, he had to leave. Everyone else we were allowed to stay. That kid was, he was pushing his luck there. Um, but we sang and we worshiped and we played games and we had a testimony and we had a Bible lesson. And most importantly, 
we saw at least 40 children give their lives to Jesus that day. Because when God sends out his laborers, we will reap a harvest for the Lord of the harvest. Amen. And so before we jump back into our verses today, um, I did this in the first service. I feel the, the need to do it in here as well. Just a little disclaimer. Um, not everything that is said this morning is directed at every single person in this room. So don't go getting offended um, when we start talking about some of the issues with the church. By the church, I mean like the American church, not just citywide. But on the other hand, don't go mistaking some offense that you feel that really might just be conviction from the Holy Spirit, all right? So don't immediately dismiss everything that's said and being like, that's other Christians' problems. You know, I got this thing on, on lock. You don't. So back to our verses, right? Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So the word we're going to kind of focus on right now is that word compassion. So um, there's a nonprofit, it's like a global ministry called Compassion International, where you can like sponsor a child. It's like all over the world um, for kids that are living in, in poverty, and they kind of raise them up and help them with school and um, nutrition and stuff like that. And so to kind of to just best explain what compassion is, I just stole the definition off their website. I thought it was pretty good. So compassion literally means to suffer with. Compassion or suffering with another person combines sympathy with an active response or a desire to help. Because we have compassion, we want to act and lessen someone else's suffering. This desire to act is what differentiates compassion from empathy, understanding, or sharing the feelings of others. And so I did a little study into the word compassion as well, and I looked up this word um, in my concordance. And so that's not usually like a Bible study tool that I'm like super effective with. But every once in a while, like, God kind of points out something pretty cool. Um, and so the Greek word that's used here for compassion, it's in the New Testament 11 times total. So it's once when the father goes to Jesus asking for compassion for his son um, who was possessed by the demon. The demon kept like throwing him into the fire. So in, I think it's in Luke 9. Once in the story of the prodigal son. And then the nine other times are in reference to Jesus. So it's never, compassion's never a word that describes anybody else. So clearly, this tells us that compassion isn't something that comes naturally to you and I, to those of us that are born into sin. Only Jesus possesses and exemplifies true compassion, and only in knowing him and serving him are you ever going to be able to exchange your selfishness for a heart for others, okay? We need to know his heart if we want a heart like his, one where we can truly love our neighbor. And so Jesus has compassion on the crowds, it says, because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so sheep are like, they're stupid animals. They easily go astray and get lost. And when they do, like, they're completely helpless. They have no way of coming uh, home again. They're completely unprotected. They have no way to, to protect themselves. Well, unfortunately for us, we are all sheep. Now, we here at Citywide are super blessed um, I don't know if you guys were at that ordination service last week, but we have five new pastors, new shepherds here to help guide us and to help lead us. But most importantly, we are led and protected by the good shepherd himself, Jesus Christ. He saved us, and he's the one who guides our steps. But in this time, in Jesus' time, 
the faith leaders of the day, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, like they're so blinded by their faith and like, or not by their faith, but by their religion. Like, I, you know, I have to do this. I have to do this. I can't do that. Following the law that they were essentially blind, but they were still leading their people astray. And so they truly were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, people today who don't know Jesus, they're like sheep without a shepherd as well. They wander aimlessly chasing the pleasures of this world without really any purpose or guidance, whether they realize it or not, unfortunately. And so over the years, um, just kind of following Jesus and doing missions work, um, he's really kind of opened my eyes a lot more to the suffering all around us and really throughout the world. Um, the sheep without a shepherd that um, I've kind of slowly started to develop some compassion in my, uh, my selfish heart there. And so in February of this year, this past year, we took our first trip to Honduras. Um, it was like a small group of 10. It was awesome. We went to go see um, Oscar and Emmy and Tirza's um, uncle and cousin. They have a church down there. And so that was like the connection. Oscar was like, oh, he knew Sherry led missions. And he was like, hey, can we send like some musical instruments down to Honduras? And Sherry was like, no, God's calling us for more than that. So we brought a whole team instead to bring the gospel. They didn't need a, a guitar. They needed Jesus down there. Um, and so we go down there, and one of the things we did was like midway through the trip, um, we went to a children's hospital to go minister and just bring some joy. And so this isn't like an American hospital where if you bring in a group of 10 people and we're there to pop into random people's rooms and talk about Jesus, like we didn't get arrested or thrown out. They actually like welcomed us in. So the DR is a whole different ballgame than America. Um, so we split into two groups. Mine goes to the area with the, uh, the newborn babies and um, all the moms that had recently given birth. And so you would think after 10 years of going to all these Spanish-speaking nations that I would be fluent by now, but it's shameful, shameful how little Spanish I know. And so I teamed up with, uh, with Jaylene over there. And so really from the time that I've been coming to, to Citywide, I'm always getting partnered up with Jay. And so she was, um, you know, we're like, I guess we're a good team. God's always kind of aligning it up. And so the two of us venture off, and we find a room with uh, four beds in there. There's four moms that uh, recently gave birth that are in there resting uh, with their family. And so, again, not an American hospital. Not every new mom's going to get her own room. Um, but they didn't seem to care, and so they were just kind of living in the joy of having their new baby. And so we just introduce ourselves, meet each couple, um, prayed for healing for the woman who just gotten a, a C-section, kind of blessed all of their, their new children and stuff. Really, we were just kind of hanging out with them. There wasn't anything uh, much more to it than that. Because sometimes, like, we tend to complicate missions a little bit, and we only associate it with, you know, those big crusades where there's, like, thousands of people, and you're preaching, and, um, you know, everyone's falling out in the spirit and getting healed and delivered. And, you know, those, those times are amazing. But more often than not, missions are simply just going where God called you, to be relational and pour out into maybe just a few people's lives, and even if it's just for a moment, that's it. So don't overcomplicate missions and be like, oh, I'm not a mission. I used to say that too. I'm not a missionary. Well, God had other plans for me, and God's got plans for you guys as well. Amen? So anyways, so we go off, me and Jay. We find another room. Um, there's six uh, women in there laying in bed again. So we had brought a bunch of baby clothes with us, kind of prepackaged them a little bit, 
So the first couple we talked to had a baby boy, so we got to give, give a, a bag to them and bless them. And so Jaleen's digging in her backpack. We're finding all the bags, and we got a couple new, uh, new baby girls around here. And we get to the last couple, and Jaleen kind of shouts over to him, and she's like, oh, did you guys have a, a boy or a girl? And the father just responds, we just lost our baby. Um, it, it, I didn't know what she said, but I could see like the look on, on Jaylene's face. And so Jaylene trans, translates for me, and it was like a, like a punch in the gut, like the wind just sucked out of me. Um, well, you know, me and Jay go in there thinking we're like celebrating with everybody. We're throwing out bags of clothes. Um, we're, we're getting praise. Out, you know, all these guys have new children. There's so much celebration going on. Meanwhile, this couple's sitting in the corner witnessing this as their baby just died a couple hours prior. Like, my heart dropped. But it was a moment where I was, like, just truly overcome with compassion. So compassion is marked by a desire to help. But how do you help someone in that situation that you just met that just went through something as horrible as losing a baby? I had no idea, literally no idea what to say. I was frozen. Um, but really, the only thing we could do was just say how sorry we were and then just ask if we could just, just pray over them. Um, so I start praying. I just lay hands on the, the husband, and Jaylene's translating for me. And I don't remember exactly what was said, but it was something like, um, you know, like, God, I don't know how painful it must be to lose a child, but I am eternally grateful that you do, that you had to give up your son to die on the cross for my sins. So please, Lord, just be with our new friends today as they grieve the loss of their baby. Like, whatever it was that came out of my mouth, um, it was too eloquent to be, uh, have been my words. It was definitely something that, that was from Holy Spirit for sure. And so we, we kind of finished praying, Jay and I, and, and just give them hugs and um, walk out in the hallway. We couldn't even look at each other. We couldn't, if we had made eye contact in that moment, that would have been it for us. We would have burst into tears. We would have crumbled. I'm staring at the wall over here. Jaylene's staring at the wall over here. Um, trying just to like keep, keep it together. And really, like that trip was nine months ago. Holy Spirit still kind of reminds me of that couple every so often just to pray for them because, man, that was... I've, been, I've never had a moment like that where we, we had to step into a, something so horrible that had just happened and got to be the first person to kind of say, hey, Jesus knows what you were going through. Because the only thing Jay and I really could have brought in that moment was just that little bit of compassion. That's all they needed. And so that brings us to point number one for today. Compassion best displays Christ in a hurting world. So in case you haven't heard, we've entered into a mental health crisis in America and really all over the world because when that pandemic hit and our jobs were shut down, all of our social activities were shut down, all of our endless entertainment and sports were shut down, People actually had to face the issues that they had in their lives. All the distractions were gone. And so they couldn't just sweep them under the rug anymore. But they quickly realized, like, they didn't have those coping skills. The people that don't have Jesus, how do you cope with some of the issues that come along in this life? Everyone has gone through tough times. Many of us here are going through tough times, like, as I speak. Everyone has suffered in one way or another, and we're all broken and desperate without Jesus. And yet, how easily we as the church can be so distracted with ourselves and our own little ministries that we turn a blind eye to the hurt 
all over the world and even all around us. Verse 36 says, Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Now, we've preached it here at Citywide before, but the number one cry of every person's heart is to be fully seen, fully known, and fully loved. Jesus saw you, he had compassion on you, and he came down to earth to die for you and rise again. Do we see others like that? Do we see others the way Jesus does where we would be, able to set, we would be willing to sacrifice our lives for them? I believe that as Christians in the U.S., like the biggest reason we don't live on mission as we've been called to bring the gospel to the nations is our selfishness and the distractions and trappings of the American dream have just washed away that God-given compassion for others. We don't see others because sometimes all we see is ourselves making our faith all about us. We choose to see those fake fronts that people put up on their social media rather than care enough about them to step into their mess and see what they're really going through. Now, we've also sang songs here about, you know, God, open our eyes to see like Jesus sees and break our hearts for what breaks yours. Those are kind of dangerous things to sing out and pray if you don't really mean them. So it's time for a heart check, church. Like, do we mean it? Is there any compassion in there? Because I guarantee you, if you had a compassionate heart like Jesus, your life would not look like it does right now. Anyways, I'll take by the silence, and maybe that was an accurate statement, but I'll let you guys marinate on that a little bit later. Um, so back to our verses in Matthew, Matthew 9:37. So then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out his laborers into the harvest. And so... If you've been around church even for a little while, you've definitely heard verse 37, right? Jesus is telling us the harvest is plentiful, meaning there's people all around us and all around the world who don't know Jesus, and they're simply just waiting for someone, a laborer to come, to tell them the good news about how loved they are. But here's the kind of part that we skip over and what I find interesting. That's in verse 38. Jesus doesn't say the harvest is plentiful, there's broken people all around you, so let's pray for them. Pray that their hearts are softened and that their eyes are open to the, to the things of me. Instead, Jesus says, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So the prayer that we're commanded to pray here, it's not for the lost. It's for us, the church. Which brings us to point number two. The harvest will spoil when the laborers refuse to toil. You like the rhyme there? A white guy rhyming? Huh? Is that good stuff? All right. Now, of course, we do not want, we do need to, and we, <laughs> we do, sometimes I like, I like my own jokes a little too much. I'm going to stop. So we do need to pray for the lost, of course, that, that their eyes are open and that Jesus is revealed in their lives. But the issue for so many, the one thing that is preventing them from giving their lives to Christ it's us not going out on the mission that we have been called to because the laborers are few. So, got another story for you. Um, we're full of testimonies here. We got testimonies for days from all the trips that we've been on, and so I'm going to try and make this one of my, my final stories here. So we're in Honduras. It's near the end of the trip. Um, we've been pouring out for days, and so we're a little bit tired and weary, so we're going to take an afternoon just kind of rest. So we go down by the seashore, 
Um, we're going to have lunch down there. We always get together near the end of a trip and take our group picture. I think it was the same day as the one that's hanging on the, the wall out there in the, in the cafe. Um, and so we're just kind of hanging out. And off in the distance, walking down the boardwalk, we see these four young men with their white button-up shirts and their um, you know, straight black ties. Um, they were Mormons, of course. And so in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, many young men and a few young women um, spend their teen years basically preparing for this mission. So they spend their time um, working before and after school to save their money. Um, their church assigns them a different spot somewhere in the world. And besides saving money, like they actually learn the language of the places that they're going to be sent to, something uh, that I need to work on. And God kind of convicted me when I was, when I was writing this. Um, but they also, of course, spend lots of time in the Bible and the Book of Mormon, just learning more about their faith and, and all the, the mission that they're they're being sent out on. And so this is all like a voluntary process, and the mission's usually around, um, it's usually for two years. So when they graduate either high school or college, they get sent out for, for two years. And so a little bit more background. Mormons, like, in essence believe in the Bible, but they also believe that there was another prophet of God that came later. Um, his name was Joseph Smith. And so he, uh, they think, like, God gave him visions, and he was gifted, like, these golden plates um, that he was able to translate, and then he had his, his wife um, transcribe it for him, and that's how they, they wrote the Book of Mormon. And so the biggest difference between Christianity, our faith, and what the Mormons believe is within the deity of Christ. It's really the biggest difference between Christianity and any other faith involves the deity of Christ. And so we, of course, believe Jesus is the Son of God, part of the Trinity. God is three in one. Mormons do not believe in the Trinity, um, which essentially denies the, the deity of Christ. And so, back to the story. So, like, you know, we're a very sociable team. We're missionaries. They're missionaries. And so we walk over there. We're going we're to make some friends. And so it was a couple guys, young men from Utah, and then a couple guys from the local area in Honduras. And so they just kind of told us a little bit about their faith and what their mission is. And um, our friend Tara, who's been on, like, every trip with us, she gets a little fired up. So she starts asking him, she starts growing him a little bit like, so why would you believe that um, this Joseph Smith was a prophet? But in the end, she, she quickly kind of shut herself down there. She wisely discerned, like, we're not there to, to, to battle with them or argue them. You're not going to debate somebody into switching their faith around. Um, and so really, we just like, all right, calmed it all down, and we asked to pray with them and then gave them a few of the reading materials that we were giving out. I think it was actually the, the orange prayer book that we give out to new members here by Bob Sorge. And so we give them a few of the books and just kind of, hey, we challenge you guys to read this while you're on your, your mission here. And so as the group's leaving, one of the Mormons actually, um, he challenged me. He's like, I'll read your book if you promise to read a little bit of our book. And, you know, I don't necessarily agree with what goes on in the Book of Mormon, but I do have a, like a super, super high level of respect for their faith and how much they sacrifice to go on mission. So I said, sure, why not? Um, so when I get home, I come home and try and keep an open mind as to what I'm reading. I really just went down like this online, like a Mormon rabbit hole of researching. I learned all about like the history of their church um, and Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, and like the Pearl of Great Price, like another one of their texts. Um, learned a lot about, I read a lot of uh, testimonies of how people came to be a part of the church of, of, of the LDS. And so, you know, to tell you the truth, like it was a it ended up just being like a huge blessing on me and on my faith in Jesus. Like the more I learned about um, the, my Mormon friends, 
the more I also learned about the inerrancy of the Bible, God's word, historical proofs for Christianity um, that I really had no, I never even known, never knew about, and really the importance of our testimony and our life being grounded in the word and not just in emotion and feelings. And so, most of all, too, like, I really just wanted to see those four guys saved. Like, we need some more missionaries out there. We need some more laborers. But here's the thing. Mormons train up their children in their faith well, teaching them their great examples for their kids, and many of their kids sacrifice by learning a new language, learning about their God, and willingly spending all those, um, those younger years of theirs saving money to pay their own way. Their church doesn't pay for them to go out for two years. They pay their own way so they can go to the nations sharing their beliefs. Here's the issue. They're preaching a false doctrine with the Book of Mormon. We have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have Holy Spirit living within us. And yet, in our verses in Matthew, what Jesus is prophetically telling us is that despite the harvest being plentiful and ripe for the picking, when it comes to us Christians, the laborers are few. How sad is that? While they're training up their young people to go on mission for their God, what are we training ours up for? Academic accomplishment, worldly success, and then, you know, just sprinkle in a little bit of uh, Sunday school on there, and then we send them out into the world. Look, I may not agree much with the church of LDS, but you're never going to catch me bad-mouthing their followers and their willingness to sacrifice for their faith and the mission they've been given. So I want to take a moment. I'm going to kind of throw a few statistics at you. And the danger here is, like, these are some big, big numbers and big things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop on you here. Don't disassociate yourselves from it. It's easy to hear big numbers, and you kind of make it impersonal, and it, don't let it affect you at all. Just he hear, hear what we got to say. So there are over 400,000 children in foster care in America today, and over 122,000 of them are just waiting to be adopted. Well, there's over 380,000 Christian churches in America. So you're telling me we can't find one Christian in every three entire church congregations to adopt a child, to raise up a little disciple and show them a little bit of love? Where are all the laborers, church? James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. There are over 15,000 kids that die every single day around the world from preventable diseases and another 10,000 on top of that that die from malnutrition and hunger. In 2018 alone, U.S. churches brought in $124 billion. Where is that money going? Is it just being poured into a bunch of programs to feed ourselves? Or should it be going to feed those children in impoverished conditions to give them life and to show them who God is, to show them love, Lord. Guys, where are all the laborers? 1 John 3, 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? We're closing in on, we're almost at 8 billion people that live in this world. Of that 8 billion, 3.37 billion, so around 42%, are completely unreached for the gospel. Meaning, according to the, the website, the Joshua Project, so they, tr they track all the unreached peoples around the world. Um, unreached is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians 
with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. So essentially, that was a long-winded way of saying there's 3.37 billion people in this world that have never heard the name of Jesus. Romans 10:13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So I say again, church, where are all the laborers? Now, again, I know those, those stats are kind of like overwhelming, but this is the mission that you have been called into, a mission that is too big for you, it is too big for citywide, but it is not too big for the God of the impossible. <clears throat> My Mormon friends, they've sacrificed a ton for their faith and willingly gone out. What have we done to labor for the gospel? Or are we just in this whole Christian thing for the blessings? So back to Matthew 10 for a moment. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, James, and Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him. So at this time, the 12 have been walking with Jesus for a while, learning how to pray, learning how to study scripture, learning how to live, um, just kind of learning how to model their lives about how, uh, how Jesus was living preaching the gospel and healing and um, delivering people. And so um, he, Jesus then sends them out. And so he calls them as his disciples, which means student, so one who, who learns, and then he sends them out as apostles. So the first sentence calls them in as disciples. Verse 2 calls, sends them out as apostles, meaning one who is sent. So Jesus sends them out, go and proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. And so in a span of a couple sentences... Jesus kind of flips the script on them. It's like, all right, I've filled you. I've taught you. You've seen how I operate. Get out there and do it. Do as I do. And many of us here, we are disciples of Jesus, and we always will be. They didn't stop being disciples to become apostles um, because there's always more to learn about Jesus. There's always more to learn about the gospel, and there's always more to be revealed. But he made us his disciples so that we can become apostles called us as disciples, sent us out as apostles. And so before Jesus sends them out, it says it, uh, he gave them his authority to cast out demons and to heal every disease. So whenever God gives to his children, there's always multiple purposes behind that. He didn't give them his authority just for their benefit. He gave them his authority so they could use that to help others in need and then proclaim that the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom of God. And so there's a pattern here. It emerges all throughout the Bible. And so that brings us to our third point for today. You have been blessed not simply for your good, but for God's glory. So God disciples us so we can disciple others. God pours into us so we can pour out onto others. God blesses us so we can bless others. And the whole purpose behind that 
is so that our entire lives and all that we do can be used to glorify God and his mighty name. Now, there's a, this, is, this happens like all throughout the Bible, so Old Testament and New Testament. So a couple just like quick examples so you guys know what I'm talking about. In 1 Kings 3.9, we see King Solomon. Um, God says, you know, I'm gonna, as the king, I'm going to give you anything that you want. And he asks for wisdom, wisdom to guide his, his people. And so God responds and gives Solomon a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall rise after you. So he makes him the wisest man, not only of that time, but to ever walk the earth. Well, the queen of Sheba, who was from a whole other nation, hears of his wisdom. And in, um, in 1 Kings 10, she comes to meet Solomon and she like, has her mind blown. She's so impressed with the, the wise counsel that he provides that she says, blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. So God blesses Solomon. Solomon uses what he was given to bless the nations and God is glorified. The queen of Sheba didn't even know God, but she knew that that wisdom could not have come from a man. It had to come from somewhere else, from someone above. 1 Samuel 17, 37 we see a little shepherd boy named David who goes up to King Saul. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Later, he says to Goliath, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. God delivers David from the paw of the lion and the bear. He empowers him to do the impossible and take down the giant. Israel is saved, and the earth knows that there is a God in Israel. And then in the beginning of the book of Acts, now we're in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus has since risen from the dead. He appears to his disciples um, for 40 days, and he's speaking about the kingdom of God, right? Teaching them, and in verse 1-8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And soon after, Jesus is taken up into heaven. Pentecost comes. Holy Spirit falls upon his people, empowers the people. And what do they do? They all start speaking in tongues of fire and um, become his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so you see what I'm saying? So God gives to us. We give that to others. And God is glorified. So 1 Peter 2.9, you, speaking to you guys, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So he chose you, he set you apart as his holy nation, filled you with his love and his wisdom and his power, not just for you, but for others, and as we saw in our examples above, so the world may know that there is a God in heaven who loves them. Now, just like we have been called a holy nation, um, the Israelites were God's holy nation um, in the Old Testament, set apart for his purposes. So I just want to read this verse from, um, from the book of Isaiah. I really feel like it's, it's relevant for the, the church today, okay? So Isaiah 26, 15. This is spoken prophetically over uh, the Israelites of the time. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. Excellent start. 
praising and worshiping God for all that he deserves, but quickly takes a sharp right turn. Verse 16, O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs, when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. So these verses start off with God blessing the nation of Israel, and yet rather than live out the purposes that he called for them, to make his name known amongst the nations, all they did was get fat on his blessings. So God continues to pour out his grace upon them, but all they did was build up this big old belly and hoard the blessings for themselves. It's, it says they gave birth to wind, meaning they had life growing within them, and what should have come out of their womb was life for other people, but they gave birth to nothing. Nothing that God called them to do was accomplished, and there was no fruit. And in the same way, that is the American church at times. Guys, we have that life within us from God that's meant to emerge, to bless others, to pour out onto others, to bring praise to his name, and yet we keep those blessings to ourselves instead of birthing them out. We read verses um, in Psalm 67 and verse 1 like, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That is a beautiful verse and an awesome thing to declare of your life, and I'm pretty sure we sang it in a worship song a few weeks ago. But then we tend to skip over and just stop right there instead of going on to verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So we are to take and live off the God shining his face upon us and then reflect that to the world around us. So church, we are not called to live this life of Christian passivity where um, we've been saved and so let's just sit back and relax until it's time for us to go to heaven. We have been called and set apart to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. God planted each and every one of you here at Citywide to be a part of the largest soul-saving effort that Bridgeport has ever seen. That is a fact. But God has also partnered up Citywide with PCI, with BLI, with Josh's SOAR evangelism classes to empower you so that you can go out. The love of God cannot be contained in the walls of this church. The love of God cannot be contained in the city of Bridgeport. We are to pour out into the nations. 42% of the world has never heard the name Jesus. Well, Jesus said he's not going to come back for us until the nations have heard his name. We got a lot of work to do, church. And so during 72 hours of mission starting on Thursday, the goal isn't to sign up for one serving event, to go into the harvest for a couple hours, and then come home, give yourself the old pat on the back and congratulations, and be satisfied in your one good deed for the year. The goal is to take that one day of serving and turn it into a complete lifestyle of going on mission for the Lord. Missions, not just a department of the church here at Citywide. The day you said yes to Jesus is the day you said yes to going on mission for God. Amen? Amen? So today is your day. We're all, today, we're all going to take a step. Okay? Everyone's step is going to be different, so don't look to the left or to the right. We're only looking to what Holy Spirit has for us as to what step he has for us today. One of the dangers of kind of preaching a message like this, especially when I throw all those statistics at you, it's like um, 
we get all excited and we get all amped up. And then you go out of here and you start booking your flight to Iraq because you're going to bring the, the gospel to, to some Islam, Islamic nation or something. Like, calm down. Pump the brakes for a second. We're going to take a moment. We're going to rest in the presence of God. God is the God of order. He's not going to take you. Um, you just came to Sidwai for the first time today and then ship you out to uh, Fiji or something like that. That's not how it works. So if you're a member here at Citywide, maybe that next step is simply just to serve a couple Sundays a month here at church. Every week we come in here, it's the same volunteers that are pouring out. Eventually, they're going to get burned out unless you guys step up, stop sitting back and getting fed, and step into the calling and pour into your house. This is your home church. Bless it. Now, if you already serve on Sundays here, which I know a lot of you do, it's time to get involved in ministry outside of the church walls. No more living in fear that you're not equipped, that someone's going to ask you a question you don't have this answer to, and so, you know, I can't do it. I, you know, God, that's not for me. It is for you. You have Holy Spirit. You're ready. That's it. That's your qualification right there. Now, if you've been loving on our city for a long time, Maybe it is time for you to go out there, get some information about the churches, or the churches, the trips that are going on in 2023. Um, we're going back to Baton Rouge to visit Pastor P and his church. We're going to the Dominican. We're going to be going to the Dominican to see Lorena every year until the day we die. And so hop on board. It's awesome. And then we are also going to, for the first time, Brazil as well. So... As a possible second qualification for that one, if you speak Portuguese, we need you. We got, we got nobody right now. We got Jaylene. We got Jaylene and Paolo. They're going to be walking hand in hand in Brazil, leading people to the Lord. Um, oh, and most importantly, let's go take a step back for a moment. It's time that we actually pour into our top mission, the one that God um, has assigned on us, and that is to pour into our homes. So... I know you guys, I see you guys here. You're at church seven days a week volunteering. Take a step back. No more serving like that while your family life suffers. Get your houses in order. Get Holy Spirit back into your family, operating as one united front. Then go out. Bring your family with you as you go and serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. Then we can bring the mission to the masses and be successful in that. So in our verses in Matthew 9, we read that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers. So that's what the disciples did. They prayed to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Well, how did God answer that prayer? He took them and sent them out. So you guys are those laborers. You are the answer to prayer that people have been waiting for. You just got to go. Just take step out. Take that step of faith. And we are going to reap a harvest for the Lord, the Lord of the harvest. I keep saying lard like I'm, uh, like I'm Irish or something. I'm Italian. Uh, lard. The lard of the harvest. So anyways, so I'm going to call the, the missions team back up here. This is what happens. I get distracted. I have one stupid one-liner, and then I, I lose my train of thought. I'm going to have the, the worship team come back up here for a minute. All right. So you know that song that we sing every once in a while, I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything? Our worship team is going to sing that over us today. For the first minute or two of the song, I know it's a catchy song, you're not going to sing it. You're going to sit in your seats, and you're going to listen to what Holy Spirit has for you. 
Listen to what that step is that he's calling you into. Because there are people in here that God has been calling to do something, big or small, for years, and you've sat on it. So don't be singing, I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything when you haven't done the one little thing he's calling you to do right now. And so rest in it for a little while, and then once you do get that word, feel free to stand up and sing with us. I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything. That's a dangerous thing to sing unless you mean it. So take some time and listen to what God has for you.